The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message, they'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button as well. Listen to old archive shows. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Morning, Scott. I'm putting on a, a collar and a jacket today for you guys. Look at this. First thing on the morning. I, I'm looking with a colored shirt on for, I don't know, maybe a <laughs> pandemic. What the heck time is it? And I'm looking at these two gentlemen in the little box here of our Zoom call or whatever the heck it is. And they're both wearing a collared shirt and a jacket. Well, I'm in my, I, I just put my pajama top on. I was actually shirtless when we started the call. Anyway. Uh, good morning. Professional today. There you go. I mean, all the way from top drawer all the way down to the bottom drawer. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, maybe we got to get you standing up. Are you wearing track pants underneath that stuff, guys? No, I'm not going to go. There you go. Too much information, Scott. There it is, especially this early in the morning. All right. Uh, this time of year, as we're into December and and uh, as well as a pandemic, moving towards the holiday season, it's interesting. I've seen some commercials on TV in regards to. Uh, elders and financial abuse and some of the scams that uh, that they have to watch out for that are really prevalent during this time of year and and maybe more so as we're a little bit more uh, uh, open to this sort of thing considering we're all closed off but uh, forms of financial abuse they come in all shapes and sizes don't they they do and uh, and the numbers are pretty staggering in terms of the financial cost and never mind the emotional cost to all of it as well and um you know, this is, there's some estimates by the um, CARP, the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, that talks about 250,000 older Canadians being scammed annually. Um, now, that's about 3%. doesn't sound like a lot from a percentage number, but when you think about 250,000 of our, you know, vulnerable older clients uh, and older uh, relatives and family members being abused in this way, it really is troubling. And... Um, and now we talk about, and we're going to talk a little bit about, maybe share some stories about some of these scams as well, but the top three scams last year were romance scams were number one, and it was estimated about $22.5 million was taken from seniors in romance scams. Income tax scams, where you're being threatened that if you don't pay, you will be prosecuted, that's about $6 million. And online purchase scams uh, worked out to about $3.5 million. And the problem is it's, it's probably not even the real numbers because a lot of times people are really upset when they find out that they've been scammed, and so they don't report it. There's sort of this silo of shame that exists around these things that, uh, that we never hear about. So that's kind of unnerving. Um, but the, the reality is, is that about two-thirds of abuse is committed by family members and loved ones. So the real, I guess, big caveat in this is being protective or cautious around our own family and and what's happening within our own family and um and you know part of the the, the challenges through the baby boomers and as as our senior population uh passes away in terms of a state right now the estimate is about one trillion dollars in personal wealth 
will be transferred over the next 10 years to the next generation. And, uh, and that's about, and, and the majority of that is financial assets, about 70 to 80% of that is financial assets. So there is a lot going on in this area. And, you know, when we talk about forms of financial abuse, I'm going to sort of highlight the three big ones. And um, the first one is uh, a sort of narrative around requesting an early inheritance. And in, in this scenario, you know, the concept is that, well, you know, I'm going to receive the money eventually. So really all you're doing is giving me an early inheritance. And, um, and unfortunately, this can be put put a lot of pressure on seniors as well, and they certainly can get a lot of, um, I think, emotional uh, abuse around this as well in terms of leveraging. A lot of times family members will leverage grandchildren. Uh, so, for example, you know, you won't be able to see the grandchildren or I'll withhold the grandchildren from seeing you unless you help me out. Um, uh, if there are no grandchildren, pets are often used as leverage. Um, I would taking the pet away or not being able to see a pet. Uh, and the other big one is restricting visits. So where normally a family member may have been um, a caregiver or, or a major part of that in terms of a support person, they may threaten to stop their care. They may threaten to restrict or stop their visits as well. So the concept of an early inheritance is, uh, is probably the number one that people feel somehow they're entitled to. Uh, the second big one is what we call creating codependence. And so many family members end up in the role of a caregiver. And in exchange for that caregiving, they will often use it for leverage to get financial help. And um, it's often, you know, the younger people that tend to be sort of dependent on older people. And this is sort of Part of the process where you think about, you know, we, we often think that our senior and older population are, they're the ones that are, that need help and they need maybe financial assistance, but it's actually more likely younger people that are coming to them for financial assistance or financial help to be able to uh, actually end up more dependent on them as opposed to uh, the other way around. And so this sort of comes into what we call family welfare, where you know, the, it's, there's an expectation that the, that the parents should uh, help pay for children's costs, grandchildren's costs, or help pay to fix a car, or help to pay for, you know, something, an emergency. So all of this is part of that dependency from the young person to the older person. Um, social, so, uh, social isolation is an often is a result of this, where, you know, you end up with family members beginning to split apart, uh, and compounding that, of course, we're dealing with COVID right now where social isolation is a serious issue and mental health issue. And so that's adding additional leverage to people that are trying to abuse our, our older population in the same way. And then often we have um, uh, seniors who are beginning to have cognitive impairment. It might be some memory loss. There might be some uh, uh, early signs of dementia. And again, there's a sort of codependency created with that, you know, family member where because of their cognitive impairment that they're needing additional help as well. And, you know, in the past, maybe that elderly person or uh, older uh, senior may have had 
uh, members of a church that might check in on them, or maybe they belong to a club where they had some social interactions and they would, uh, the club members would check in, or a part of a social group. And so now when we see, we hear about that, those members of those groups trying to reach out, uh, they're told by this the codependent uh, healthcare provider or family member that suddenly they're not available. Um, oh, uh, uh, Don's sleeping right now. I'm sorry he can't come to the phone or just he's not available. So they use an isolation tactic to try and separate the group so that they won't see what's going on or find out what's going on. So, and often um, the, the older person or senior isn't really aware as a victim. They're not aware of what's going on and they really don't want to make trouble as well. They're nervous about uh, bringing shame to the family or disrupting the family members uh, and, and the, the sort of cohesiveness within the family. Uh, and the next one is, number three, is using excuses and tactics. And, you know, so at the time when maybe somebody's been confronted, let's say as a, an elderly individual or another family member confronts a codependent or a caregiver who's maybe uh, subject to being subject to some abuse, um, when it's time to fess up, you know, they'll often use, well, you know, you don't understand the physical and the mental and the emotional exhaustion from caring for this older relative is, you know, you just don't understand. And so they try and redirect things. And so manipulating the victim into thinking that maybe others are really the people that are involved and um, not making, not taking their own best interests at heart. So, um, as I mentioned, that sort of the, the, the CPA, the uh, Chartered Professional Account Association, has a Fraud Protection for Senior Workshop, which is a free sh- workshop. You can look that up. CPA Fraud Protection for Senior Workshop. And just quickly, in terms of some other forms of financial abuse, is things like lending or giving away money or property or possessions. It could be uh, someone asking you to sell or move from your home. It could be making changes to your will or your power of attorney. It might be uh, signing some legal or financial documents that you don't understand. It could be working for little or no money, which might include caring for children or grandchildren, is an expectation. Uh, it might be making, you know, making purchases. You've been asked to make purchases that you don't want or need, which really end up for somebody else. Or it might be simple as providing food and shelter to others without being paid. So someone living under your roof and uh, and not compensating you in any way. So these are all sort of different forms of financial abuse. And throughout our careers, I know Don and I have seen our own situations where I've I've heard of um, scams pretty much are the common ones that we end up with. And I have seen situations where uh, adult children or caregivers have been, you know, at requesting their adult or sorry, senior um, individual to make withdrawals from their accounts and without any real need or purpose other than that money flowing through to a, uh, a young adult. So it, uh, you know, the one scam I remember uh, was a about $5,000 that was paid out to uh, a scam in Germany where a client was informed that their nephew, who did live in Germany, and I'm always amazed at how much information they get on these things, uh, was in a car accident and needed money for surgery. 
So it's just an example of how people can get caught up emotionally. And I know, Don, you were talking about one as well in terms of uh, credit card scams. Yeah, there's so many. In fact, you're going through this list, Andy, and I'm saying, yes, check, check, check. Yep, seen that, seen that. You know, changing of the wills. All of a sudden, uh, kids come out of the blue, haven't seen their, their parents for a long time, and all of a sudden they show up at the end, and, and I've seen uh, family members, all of a sudden the power of attorney has now changed to them because they've been in contact with their long-lost mother, and next thing you know, it's, they've been changed and the will's been changed, and, and certainly their cognitive state may not have been perfect at the time, so then it's very difficult to prove that in court. So, yes, that's just one of many, and I've, you know, you know, after the break, I've got a few others. And it's really so the listeners, when they hear these, they, they, they think twice about it. Because, to be honest, when you're listening from something from Revenue Canada or Visa or whoever, you often think, okay, this is legit. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get the wrong side of the banks. So I want to make sure I give them the right information. There's a trusting relationship there. So we'll, we'll chat a bit more about this after the break. And hopefully uh, some advice as well, gentlemen, about what we can do to try to avoid this if you are members of the family watching this go down. Uh, we are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister, Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's all one word. And there you can listen to old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're going to talk about behavioral investing, but you want want to finish up with some more on forms of financial abuse and what we should maybe do. Yeah, Sandy was mentioning about how two-thirds of the abuse is often with family members. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, I, as I mentioned with, uh, before, with going through dealing with a lot of clients over many years, you come across all sorts of circumstances. Uh, one circumstance was literally a one brother came from the U.S., a, a, a daughter came from out west, and the one that lived local was doing all the work. And all of a sudden, everything got changed when the three of them got together. And all I would recommend in those circumstances is start to document everything. In fact, it wouldn't even be a bad idea to seek the advice of a lawyer before um, you know, the, the mother or father passes away so that you have a little bit of a track to run on. And it never hurts to just kind of a prevent, uh, preemptive strike, if you will, so that you're well prepared, because it's a lot harder to fight for this after the fact. And maybe you can kind of nip it in the butt in the first place so that it doesn't continue. And therefore, um, you'll do, you know, it's already separating the family anyway. So you may as well uh, get it all worked out ahead of time, because it literally is going to separate the family after the death occurs. So certainly the family one's always hard, and it's very emotional. And, of course, there's usually a failing health situation with the mother or father. Um, then you look at those, those scams that Andy was talking about, the romance one. I, I did have a client that went through this. I'm the only one that knows about it. And it's, as Andy mentioned, there's a lot of dollars that aren't even accounted for because they're embarrassed. And, and it was a fair bit of money. And so 
they had to use funds. The only reason we know is because they have to take out funds. And I started questioning. And this is, again, a nice part of having a financial advisor start questioning a lot of the things that you're doing because this seemed out of the ordinary. So I started asking some questions on the purchases or the needs for the money. And it was not a big amount at first. It got a little bigger. I says, oh, you're on a spending spree. And it wasn't her norm. And so I, I started questioning a bit more, and then it all came out. And I said, this doesn't seem right to me. Anyway, sure enough, it wasn't right. And, uh, and we, it, we wrapped things up quite quickly. But again, it cost that person a fair bit of money. Um, the Revenue Canada one, I'm surprised it's only $6 million. I don't know a client yet hasn't got that phone call, Andy. You know, I'm from the CRA, and, and we're going to send the police if you don't pay this a weird amount right away, or it's done by email. And I was uh, literally at a client's house when she had it still in the answering machine. And I said, don't worry about it. It's a scam. And, and again, this lady was very nervous to think it might not have been a scam. I said, trust me, this is a scam because these are, as a victim, you're, you, you trust a lot of people. There's this law-abiding citizen that thinking, well, the, you know, CRA must know. I, I should you know, probably pay up. I don't want to get the wrong side of Revenue Canada. And... Uh, and trust me, you're not being on the wrong side. This is a common, a common occurrence, and it's happening a lot. The one I've been getting, I don't know about you guys, but I've been getting uh, the Visa or MasterCard call about every month these days. And another family member had this call recently, and they asked for the, the Visa number. And sure enough, um, it was given out. And I thankfully, we called back right away and had it canceled. But to the point that, you know, this family member said, no, no, don't worry, it was already cancelled. They already told me, Visa told me. I said, I said, don't worry, it wasn't Visa that called. They don't want you to call Visa to cancel because they want to use that number. But again, there's this inherent trust that the bank or Visa or MasterCard or American Express, whichever one it is, you trust them. So this is the time of year when you see a lot of this happening. You know, around the Christmas time, around the, and, and particularly in a pandemic where a lot of people are home, and in fact, majority of people are home because we're not allowed to be not be home for a, a large extent. And seniors, particularly, they're not traveling, and they're near a telephone. And quite often, they have a landline, and that's the one being used the most. So, be very careful. I had one again just in the past week, and I, I uh, they suggested at 5:30 my visa was being used uh, for a certain amount. I think it was 320 some odd dollars and some cents. It was a very odd number, and they asked me. Uh, if, if I had used it, I said no. And uh, I don't even have a visa, so that's, I, I knew that. And then they said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure that this is a scam. And then they hung up. And on to the next person. So be very careful. Be very aware. These are the things that uh, are going on right now. But Don, uh, I think just, just to wrap it up, I think you uh, pointed out that probably one of the key things is having a trusted financial advisor, advisor as an intermediary is a great uh, backstop to sort of flag these things that seem odd at various points. And I know what some people consider is, a, is appointing a trust company to handle their estate. It's a little more costly, but it sort of separates all the, the biases out of it by not appointing a family member as an executor. And finally, just reviewing your power of attorney, and because a power of attorney can uh, either, you know, maybe you need to change it if necessary, but make sure you've appointed someone who can also review your finances uh, with either your advisor or uh, yourself. 
Yeah, great point. And these are the things that, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of just do. It's an auxiliary thing that is part of being a financial advisor, a financial planner, if you will, to make sure you're looking after the holistic plan. And part is money management, but it, part is just protecting people from themselves and others. And uh, we obviously, there's a, a caring relationship and making sure they, they don't get taken, uh, particularly on these scams or, in, or family members. So there is ways around it. But again, certainly if there's any question about authenticity about this, certainly call your financial advisor, see if it makes sense. If it doesn't pass the smell test, as they say in some of those commercials, it probably is not authentic. But uh, changing gears here, uh, behavioral investing. Uh, what a year we've gone through. Talk about emotions uh, between a pandemic and elections and vaccines and ups and downs of this year. This has been a uh, you know, interesting, your 2020 will always be remembered. And it was interesting, there's a gentleman called Donald Rumfield, who was the U.S. Secretary of Defense. He was not only, he, he went to a, a, a few different presidents. He was the youngest when he did the 1975 to 1977 Gerald Ford era. And he was also the second oldest when he did the 2001 to the 2006 George W. Bush era. Now, the reason I bring this up is this person had dealt with unknowns. Being in the Secretary of Defense, you're always dealing with unknowns and protecting your country. Kind of goes very well with uh, protecting your against scams and everything else we were just talking about, Andy. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, um, there's really, he, he said, there's two types of unknowns. The first unknown are the known unknowns. And a good example of that is we knew there's an election coming up. It was a U.S. election. We didn't know who would win. So that's the unknown. And whoever did win, how will that affect the market? Now, based on that, it was interesting. The sitting president said that it would be a collapse in the markets. Your 401Ks, which is similar to our RSPs, would tank. And he gave all these uh, predictions of what would happen. And... As it turned out, the market is up 10% since that point. And this is irrelevant, but this is a little easier to handle. The market didn't really react for this election as much because we've gone through lots of elections. There's been many, many elections where they all think, well, this is going to be different this time if the other person gets in. Well, it never is. And life goes on and companies continue to thrive. And that's what drives the stock market. But then there's a second type of unknown, which, if you had to guess here, it is the unknown unknowns. And this is what we lived in this year, COVID-19, a pandemic. How will this play out? We haven't had a pandemic in the modern era. So this is unno- un- uh, it's an unknown unknown. We didn't know what would happen. So with these types of situations, the market just dropped because of the fear of the unknown. And it dropped over 30% in, in a period of about a month. And then we've seen it. 100% recover, but it's, it's all because of human reaction. It's not that those companies were worth 30% less the next within a month. Royal Bank, Apple, Disney, American Express, all these great companies, you can go on and on. They did just not drop in value. Now, the good news is, is our fund managers that are professional, that's all they do, they look at this as huge opportunities. And so they were moving money out of the ones that felt would recover the quickest from the ones that would recover more slowly. And so they moved 
in a lot of the cases, over 20% of the portfolio in a period of two weeks. This normally would take over a year. So they're doing the job of, of a rational investor because they're not, they, 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 you know, it's not their money, so to speak. They're looking at data that is simply unbiased. So taking a look at different mindsets or humans, and this is really, we've talked about this forever, is that humans are, it's not in their DNA to invest properly. It's against our human nature to do the right things. So the first thing is we, we end up, the number one would be narrow framing. We make decisions without considering all implications. And a good example, again, this pandemic. Um, you know, not all businesses would suffer. But at the same time, right at the get-go, all the companies went down. It didn't matter which company, they all dropped in value. We didn't know that there would be government assistance that came in. In fact, in the U.S., there's a 31% increase in the money supply, and that obviously helped the markets. We didn't know how long the vaccine would take. There was some talk that it might be done before the year was out, but no vaccine had ever come out that quick. So there was a lot of reluctance to see if that's the truth or not. Anyway, here we are today, and uh, last time I counted, there might have been four new vaccines. There could be more now. Um, We didn't know interest rates would lower. So there's a lot of different things that took place in a, in a fairly short, short period of time that when, the, when we first came out of the pandemic, the markets dropped, nobody took into account all these things that could happen, because a lot of them we didn't even know would happen, and it's very narrow framing. There's a cause and effect on one item, and that's never the case. So that's one reason um, we make decisions, and they're flawed. The second one is mental accounting. We take undue risk in one area and avoid taking rational risk in another. And basically what this means is money's money. It doesn't really matter where it came from, how it got there, it's still the same money. So we should treat all money the same, but we don't. Humans don't do that. So when you get a tax refund, and let's say it's $5,000, there's a lot of people say, hey, hey, found money, all right. But if it was on your paycheck and you had $5,000, you might think differently, you might think, okay, well, I got some credit card bills I got to pay off. I should do this with it. There's a more rational thinking about that. And we often hear about inheritance and lotteries and how that's like found money and how most people do not have that same money five, five years later. It, they've already spent it. And it's also another example of, of mental accounting is we're safe for a vacation in a special account or in a jar. Meanwhile, we've got... $10,000 in credit card bills. Well, money is money. It would, the, the logical thing would be to just pay down the credit cards with the 10000 rather than having it in that 0% vacation fund. And it would save you 2000 a year in interest. But I think the thinking is, is if you pay down the credit card, you might not take the vacation. That one's earmarked for the vacation. But at the end of the day, it's still costing you $2,000 a year in interest. And so the logical thing would be to pay off the credit card and then when you take the trip, put it back on the credit card a year later, you'd save yourself two grand, and, 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 you'd, and it would work out a lot better. Um, another example is you own, a person owned two stocks, and they need to take some money out. Well, stock A went up 20%, while stock B is down 20%. Well, which one do you sell? Any idea, boys? Uh, I'm going to talk about tax loss selling in the next section, so I'm going to pick the one that's down. Wow, look at you. You must be a financial advisor. Good financial plan. And that's actually a consideration. 
Um, I would call. I would call you pages, both. But the real answer is, this is way too little data. You really know which company is the, has the most potential going forward, and if it's the one that's already gone up, it has a lot more potential than than the ones that's gone down. Then you sell the ones that's gone down. But people don't like to sell because they don't like the that that feeling of loss, and and that's another area of is just a loss aversion. It's called so. Really, the answer is, look at the bigger picture. So if you looked at it, say, I don't know, six years ago, and you had two stocks, one was BlackBerry, was down 20%, and one was Apple, was up 20%. Well, I, ideally, you should have sold the BlackBerry and kept the Apple. But a lot of people would have sold the Apple and said, hey, I made a lot of money on Apple. Meanwhile, the fast forward six years, they would have made quadruple that. And then, of course, BlackBerry continued to drop in value. So you do have to look at what the best company is rather than simply which one's up or down at that time. Now, number three is diversification. And there's a theory of diversification is basically is you're going to have some losers because they don't all correlate. They don't all go up at the same time as the other ones. So I got a great little chart in front of me, X, Y, and Z. Well, X is up, say, 20% on the year, and Y is actually zero on the year. And it's not fun to keep that why, because it hasn't done much. But over the years, it has diversification, and that's like growth and value right now. So the middle, where it has very little um, volatility, is the Z. And that's a properly diversified portfolio. But too many people get caught up on, oh, I wish I just had more of the X. And, and a great example of that is right now in the last week, Tesla actually passed Warren Buffett's company called Berkshire in terms of value. Everybody can't figure this one out, but everybody wants to keep buying Tesla because it just keeps going up. It's the hot stock. So their profit in, in Warren Buffett's Berkshire is greater than the total revenue of Tesla. And it's insane just how much Tesla is really irrelevant, how little they've done in revenue compared to the company, but the stock is actually worth more. If you take the shares times the stock price, it's actually worth more than Berkshire right now. That may change. But boy, when it changes, it will change fast. So diversification is number three, and we just got a few more after the break. On that situation with Tesla, let me ask you this question. Um, do you think this has much to do with the fact, it, it, more to do with the fact of SpaceX and them going up to the International Space Station with a, with a full crew? Uh, more to do with that, and that's what he's involved in rather than Tesla. It could very well. I'm not actually sure if Tesla is, is part of that one. I know yeah. Tesla has cars and solar, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if their SpaceX is part of that company. Right, but the Elon Musk buzz is certainly it's there. The yeah, it's, yeah. That, it's that buzz. You want to be part of that. It, it's like a great thing. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button and listen to old archive shows. We're talking about behavioral investing. Yes, and there's, there's a lot of human traits that make it very difficult for 
humans, basically, to invest properly. And this is why it's good to have that advisor to help you with that side of it. Now, on top of that, of course, the financial planning with the tax planning, the estate planning, and everything else goes with that. But certainly we're talking about the investment side right now. So Templeton comes up with this great chart, and it really just focuses uh, focuses on diversification. And it's interesting, if you look in the last five years, the best area to invest were in 2015 going to 2019, U.S. equities, 21%, then Canadian equities, 21%, then emerging markets, 28%, then U.S. bonds, 9%, and then U.S. equities again, 24%. Who knows which one's going to be next year? This is the whole idea. Fun, interesting enough, the worst five years, in the last five years, worst places to invest happen to be Canadian equities, minus 8, then international equities, minus 2, U.S. bonds, minus 3, Canadian equities again, minus 9, and then global bonds, 1.4. So based on this, you're thinking, well, it looks to me that the U.S. equities are doing the best, and they're not even showing up at the worst. Well, then I look at a little longer chart. If you go from 2005 to 2012, U.S. equities don't even show up. In fact, the best place out of 1, 2, 3, Five out of those seven years was emerging markets. Well, next four out of the next seven years was U.S. And Canada showed up a few times. So the whole point is, if I, and I, I show the, this chart, it would look like just a, a checkerboard of different areas. And trying to guess which area is going to be the best is, is really impossible. That's the whole point of this. And so this is why you diversify, but it's not fun. And people like to look at, well, I made... 100% on owning Tesla, and it's sexy, it's fun to talk to your friends about or whatever, but nobody likes to talk about when they lose. And so that conversation often doesn't happen. In diversification, you'll never make a killing, but you'll never get killed, and that's the whole part about diversifying. Um, number four, in terms of human behavior, is anchoring. You're relating it to something familiar, and this could be good or bad. So if there's a sports star, say Michael Jordan, and he's made the last-minute buzzer-beater throw, he may relate back to that, and that will help his mind to make that next one because he's had success. Or Tiger Woods making a final putt on the last hole, or Jack Nicklaus used to do the same thing. That's anchoring, and this is great. It's terrible for investing, though. We often anchor to make investment decisions. And we, we look at a price and say, well, I'm going to sell that stock when it's twice this price because you anchored it to the price you paid. Or I'm going to wait till that company goes back to that price before I sell. And again, this random number that you happen to pick, which happened to be the price you bought it at, has no bearing on what the market will do. But you're anchored it to that price. And it's interesting, we all do this. You look at uh, you know a lot of the sales out there, and an area rugs, we always look at those sales. You don't even look at an area rug if it's not 50% off. And... If they just had it at the normal price, 50% off, nobody would buy it. So they've actually tried this and said, we're just got low prices all the time. The sales did not do nearly as well than if somebody said, I have a 50% off. People love to have that bargain. And they've anchored it to this fictitious value that it was. It was really never supposed to be that high. They just took 50% off a higher number. And that's also anchoring. So the next one is optimism. We often, an optimist says they believe that good things always happen to them and bad things happen to others. And, it's, and it is a nice attitude. Great to be an optimist.
But again, it's irrelevant to investing. It's research. It's looking at the companies. And just because you happen to buy a company that is doing poorly, and you think, hey, it's going to go back. It always comes back up for me. doesn't have any bearing on this. And then the um, next one is media response. The media gives a lot of information, but it may not be useful for the investor. And therefore, if you're making investment decisions based on what you read or what was told or what was media-worthy, which is usually sensationalist at the best, cannabis stocks, Tesla right now, whatever the case is, you will make bad decisions. So all of these things all add up. And finally, the last one is regret. And this is where people regret not doing something more than just sitting still. And the idea here, and I know Andy's talked about this before, is when they're having a goalie kick for a soccer game. And if the goalie just stood in the middle and didn't move, they would save about a third of the goals. But if he jumps to one side or the other side, they don't blame him for jumping one side or the other side, even though <laughs> you've still got about one in three chance to try to make the save. In fact, they probably would even save more if they just stood in the middle. But as a fan, you would think, why didn't the guy move? And, it, and you don't get blamed for, for moving. And this is where a lot of people get in, interested in investing. They move a lot, and they don't do well. So at the end of the day, 30 years, the Standard & Poor's 500, the U.S. stock market, the 30-year average has been 11.1%. What a fantastic average. The average equity fund investor, believe it or not, has only averaged 3.8%. That difference which is more than 7% difference between them, is not based on fees. It is based on human behavior. And this is what Andy and I work on so much in trying to create a balanced portfolio, keep for the long time, rebalancing, keep it diversified, and keeping the emotion out of it so that we can help you accomplish your long lifetime goals. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're going to talk about uh, tax loss selling. What's that? Tax loss selling is a is a great strategy to consider at this time of year. Well, this has been a strange year for everybody in terms of the context of volatilities in the marketplace and stock market, I should say. And uh, you know, and as Don was talking about, you know, when you when do you sell an investment? Is it is it time? Do you sell the one that's down? Do you sell the one that's up? And if you were going to weigh in additional factors, one of them might be considering tax loss selling. And with tax loss selling, what you're trying to do is harvest those losses that you have in an investment and be able to then write off those capital losses against other capital gains that you've earned in the calendar year. So it's a good exercise to look at your portfolio, see what is down right now or actually in a loss position, 
and then have a thought process around, is that something that makes sense that I can sell? And now you might have other capital gains that you've earned in your portfolio over the course of the year. And what this does is by creating a tax loss, a capital loss, you're able to offset some of those other capital gains that you've earned in the year. Now, if you didn't have a lot of capital gains in the year, but being able to use tax loss selling to create a loss that exceeds your capital gains for the year, then you can go back three years, up to three years, and harvest or offset other capital gains that you've paid tax on in previous years. So at the end of the day, this is really a strategy about putting some more money in your pocket right now and um, being able to address taxation for 2020, but potentially even going back three years. Now, if you can't use up all of your losses for this year and the previous three years, you can carry them forward indefinitely. So, Don, you were talking about BlackBerry. I know a client uh, who a few years ago had a large had a position in BlackBerry and had sold this as a tax loss selling strategy uh, to harvest those losses. And, in fact, you know, even to up to this year have been using those losses against other gains that they've had in other parts of their portfolio. So one of the key things about tax loss selling is you have to pay attention to the deadline. And the deadline this year is December 29th. If you execute a trade to sell something on December 29th, you'll have enough time for that to clear through the system and qualify for a ta- uh, capital loss for 2020. Now, I don't like cutting things that close, but when you factor in all the other holidays that are occurring around this time of year because of our Christmas falls, uh, December 24th, uh, Christmas Eve day, is probably the best option or earlier. So get on this. This is not something you, you, you are of a time-limited opportunity here. One of the key things you have to make sure of is you don't end up with what's called a superficial loss. Now, nobody. the truth is sometimes we don't want to be out of the market with our investments. So if we sell something and it's no longer invested, we want to buy something else. And the key thing is, is that you can't buy the same investment within 30 days after you sold your investment or 30 days before you sold your investment. And being out of the market, that creates a bit of a concern. For example, November, this November the, was the best November, up 10.8% in the U.S. market since 1987. Don, you and I all remember 1987, right? Because we were just a, just a couple of years in the business, but it was Black Monday, right? Yes, you know uh, October 19th, October. I believe, was the day. And 1987, November, the month after, it was up around 10%, so or more than 10%. So it's been a long time since we've seen a November like that. But being out of the market is obviously a risk because the market can go up. So, But superficial loss rules were really trying to prevent people from flipping, you know, selling one investment and then simply buying it back and triggering a loss. So what they make sure is that you cannot purchase an identical property. So if I sold my BlackBerry stock and then bought it back, that would be cons- within 30 days, it would be considered a superficial loss. I would not be able to write it off. But if I sold my uh, BlackBerry stock and, and bought Apple, as Don talked about, then it would qualify because it's different. Now, it's interesting within mutual funds because they can often be a little less clearer than an individual stock. And so, for example, um, you might own a version of a mutual fund, which is a unit trust. And basically what that means is you're issued a T3 and it issues income every year as well. But uh, that form of a mutual fund, if you sold it, and let's say it was the IG dividend fund, but you bought the same version of it as a corporate class structure, 
then that is considered a non-identical property. Although for our, from our intent, all intents and purposes, they do look very, very similar, but they just have a different tax structure in terms of how they operate. So that makes them non-identical. Now, you do have to be careful if you switch between a series within the same mutual fund. So many mutual funds might have a series A, a series B, or a series C. If you're just simply switching from one series to another, then you will trigger a superficial loss. It is not. It is considered identical property, and uh, you would not be able to take advantage of the loss. The next one is um, in-kind transfers to registered portfolios. So many times somebody might sell something, or you sell your BlackBerry stock, and then you buy BlackBerry stock inside your RRSP. So what will happen is you don't get advantage of the of the loss. You can't trigger the loss because it's considered a superficial loss, and it's going into a registered plan as well. So um, the other one, which is corporate accounts. So many times corporations will have uh, investment accounts, or if you have a holding company, you'll have an investment account where you've got various mutual funds or stocks in that as well. And if you're harvesting losses in there, the same rules apply. You must, you can't own that either personally or or your family member cannot own that investment personally within 30 days before or 30 days after. It would be considered identical property and uh, you would not be able to take advantage of this tax loss selling by creating a capital loss. So it's something to think about before the end of the year, December 24th, sort of the deadline. Harvest those losses if you've got them and then be able to apply them against this year's capital gains or go back three years or carry them forward indefinitely and put some more money in your pocket. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. Scott. Take care, everybody. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.